I'm Tom Zuba. I'm the guy with the two dead kids and the dead wife. At first, I did grief the old way. And then I discovered a new way to do grief. I'm on my way to becoming radiant. Thanks for joining my podcast today. We're going to do this thing together. To meet the only, the only medium that I work with and that I will send people that I care about to work with. Hey, Rachel, we're being recorded, so be careful what you say. I can't hear you. Can you connect to audio? Yes. Can you flip? Can you flip it? Your horizontal, your vertical instead of horizontal. Oh, sure. I think so. Maybe your help with this. There you go. Yay! Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Can you hear me, Tom? I can. I can. So let we're, we're literally recording right now, and we're live on Facebook. So let people know where you are. So I am in Payson, Arizona, out in the woods, um, camping for the weekend. So yeah, I'm actually in our little pop-up camper, and which has a fun spirit story behind it. Actually, <laughs> share it. Oh my gosh! So. Um, we, I should say I, cause my, I don't think that my family really cares about naming, uh, our camper. They didn't, uh, but our camper's name is Peppy, P-E-P-P-I, non-gender, <laughs> it's Peppy. Um, so we bought this 2008 pop-up at the beginning of summer, Tom, and it's just been a really good quarantine activity, escape from the desert, Phoenix heat. <laughs> and, um, I think it was the second trip. And I said, we should name the camper. And I was the only one that cared about it. And on that trip home, um, it was coming up with names and you know, nobody else was enthused about it. And then a couple of days later, kind of put it aside, really wasn't thinking about it. Not a big deal, right? <laughs> I hear the name Peppy. And when I say I hear, I should say, I really wasn't feeling like this was a spirit thing. You know, and I think there's a lesson in this for all of us because a lot of times spirit works through us and speaks to us and we don't even realize it. I honestly think it happens more than more often than not that we don't realize <laughs> when spirit is speaking to us, even me as a medium. So I was like, oh, yeah, the camper. That's a cute name. You know, I just thought I'd been brainstorming and just thought I like that name and told the family and they still were like, OK, whatever, mom. <laughs> And then, so this was on a Monday or Tuesday, Tom. And at the time I was teaching a mediumship course and that was meeting on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday evening. I can't remember now, but um, anyway, I get to my class that night and we are um, having spirit connections and I was linking, spirit was linking me with one of the class participants. And when I say this, what I mean is like spirit will do this for purposes of teaching and the same spirit will be coming to me to encourage the participants. So in mediumship, we call this double linking. So I'm receiving the impressions that the student, the participant is receiving to um, 
build her confidence and her trust. And so it's just, it's really cool back and forth where we're the, the same spirit communicator is talking to us both at the same time. So one of the participants is connecting with a gentleman in spirit on behalf of one of the other participants. And she's saying like, he's in, he's in the woods and I'm seeing the same thing. So we're doing this kind of three-way conversation or four-way conversation at the time in this uh, connection. And um, all of a sudden I'm seeing like our pop-up camper and I'm just sitting back and the participant is just doing a beautiful job at relaying everything. I'm in the woods and I feel this gentleman likes camping and all of this. And as it turns out, the participant she was connecting for validated to her that she had a friend who had just passed and she and her husband that coming weekend were going to be going to his memorial service, which was going to be held at a campground. And they had all of these memories of camping together. And this was the connection she had with her friend. And so it was really cool and just a short hello. And he was helping, you know, us all in that. And um, then we get to the end and I hear him say, ask my name, ask my name. And so I said to the participant, can I ask what your friend's name is? And she said, we called him Peppy. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. Are there still some times when you can hear that voice say, ask my name, ask my name, ask my name, and you discard it and you just, for whatever reasons, you, you don't go there? Or are you at a point now where when you hear it, you trust and you lean into it? I'm at a point now where I do trust and lean into it. You know, um, yes. Okay. So I want to back up a little bit. What I said prior to bringing you on is that I do believe in mediums. And the only medium that I would consider working with, and I have worked with you, and the only medium that I trust enough to send people that I care about and people that trust me is you. You are the only, only, only one. And I want to preface that by saying, I firmly believe that we came to the planet to live what I refer to as our optimal lives. And I talked about this in my 10 things presentation that I gave on the 10th anniversary of Rory's passing. I believe that everyone has free will that we can say yes or we can say no. That's what I think so beautiful about being a human being, that we're not robots. I don't believe we're robots. Let me preface that I have a lot of prefaces. I'm just sharing what I believe. Every single human being gets to believe whatever they want. There isn't one truth. If there's 50 billion human beings, there are 50 billion truths. Every single person has their own truth. I believe that. I share what I believe. So I believe that everyone came here to live an optimal life. And when people, if every single human being said, yes, 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 we would make a beeline to our optimal life and oh my heavens. But people say yes and people say no. People say yes and people say no. So like a kaleidoscope, our optimal life shifts. It shifts a little bit, it shifts a little bit. 
it's not less than. It's equally as glorious because we are each loved so much. So I did a holiday program and there were 60 some people. It's really, really hard to get to know 60 people in, you know, in a three or four week period. There's 60 people. And this woman by the name of Rachel and her son who had passed by the name of Perry, I was magnetized to them. I was so drawn to you guys equally. I mean, I was drawn to Perry. I was drawn to Rachel. And as I reflect back, to me, that was the universe giving me a glimpse of my optimal life. You know, here we are. How many years later, you know, you're camping. I'm at what's going to become my retreat center in Rockford, Illinois. And and we are coming together to share, you know, everything that we can share with folks. What do you think about that? I love that. And your words really resonate with what is my truth. What I have experienced, Tom, is us having free will and also to those glimpses that we get that we don't always know what they mean at the time, but then later, you know, the dots connect and then we can go, Oh, that's why I had that feeling or that's why I was drawn to that person. Absolutely. And I, at the age of 63, I have chosen to believe it's a choice that I've made because if I believe anything else, I create pain for myself. And I have suffered enough. I want no more self-created pain. None. I believe that we are so, so, so loved that life happens for us. Life happens for us. Life happens for us in absolutely every moment. I jokingly say the plaster above me is literally falling down. It is because the bathtub upstairs leaks. And if during this podcast, the entire roof falls down on me, that's life happening for me. I believe that. So one of the things that you mentioned the word truth, a long time ago, I decided it would be best if I spoke my truth, because then I don't have to remember what I said. And People are offended by that when I speak my truth. It's my truth. I'm not telling anyone what they should believe. I'm telling people what I believe. So two years ago, actually three three years ago, three years ago, I was invited to give the keynote address at a conference called Helping Parents Heal. It was their very first conference. And they invited me to do the Saturday night after dinner keynote. That's a big fucking deal. And I call it my God-given barometer. And my God-given barometer, it was reluctant. It was reluctant. It was reluctant. And I got emails and I didn't respond to them. And I didn't get my airfare. And I just, my body just... Ugh, ugh, ugh. And then some people who I know kind of, I, I participated in this. I allowed them to shame me into going there. 
I allowed them to shame me into going there. And I very, very reluctantly bought my plane ticket at the last minute. It was super expensive because back then I went and I really tried to have such an open heart and say yes and lean in. And when I got there, I got to meet my friends, Kim and Kirk, you know, and oh my God, I had never met them in person. I got to meet my friend, Bobby. I got to meet my friend, Susan, you know, so I'm, I'm exhaling and I'm thinking, okay, you know, life is happening for me. This is where I'm supposed to be. I got to meet the shaman, Rick Olson, who just like completely transformed my life. I did my presentation. There were over 500 people. This had never happened to me before. I have spoken to a bigger group than 500 people, but what had never happened is I finished my presentation. Of the 500 people, 495 of them jumped to their feet. They are applauding, you know, bravo, bravo, thank you, thank you, thank you. The energy, it just, I mean, it about bowls me. I, I had to like breathe deep to anchor myself. So I thought, okay, 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 something has shifted. I'm really, really glad I, I, I came. As I got home and I thought about that experience, this is my truth. This is what I settled on. This truth is what I settled on. And it was confirmed within the last year when I found an interview. It's on YouTube. So I would search for it if this is interesting to you. It was Miss Winfrey interviewing a guy who lives somewhere in the United Kingdom. I can't remember his name. And while I don't like the language that he uses, I'm not going to let semantics block me from truth. He believes that there are different, what he called soul levels, and he ranked them from one to 10. And this is where it gets kind of confusing because he said, there is no judgment. 10 isn't better than three, you know, or two isn't less than eight. It's just kind of the way it is. You know, there are young souls. It's their first or fifth or 87th go round. And there are old souls that have been here a thousand times, 1800 times. So the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience is different. That, that resonates really, really deeply with me. What, what dawned on me at the Helping Parents Heal conference is I do believe the language is limiting, but I do believe there are old souls, there are young souls, and let's say there are intermediary souls. Another way of looking at it, there's souls in kindergarten, there's souls in middle school, high school, you know, working on their master's, working on their PhD. What dawned on me, Rachel, is for each soul level, there's a corresponding and appropriate medium and psychic. And for me, that was my big exhale. That was my big exhale. For me, I was like, that explains it to me. That's why some mediums don't resonate with me. Some mediums, when I'm around them, I mean, I feel icky. That's about me. But there are other people, they relate to them, they speak to them. 
So again, for this is my belief, for every single soul level of humanity, there's an appropriate corresponding um, significant medium. What do you think about that? Or what do you feel about that? You know, yeah, that's really interesting, Tom. I had never really considered those words level with like a corresponding medium or psychic. Um, although what does feel familiar to me about that or uh, what resonates is that I do believe that we are drawn to specific, maybe light workers, healers at the right time um, in our journey. So yeah, I definitely get that for sure. And there have been... Um, mediums who don't resonate with me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I, that totally makes sense to me. I, I have come to believe, and this is very freeing, and it's within the last year, that every single human being, every single human being, we're doing exactly what we need to do to survive. And when I choose to believe that, I release all judgment. There's no judgment whatsoever. Oh, that person, that's what they need to do to survive. I get it. I get it. I get it. That brings me peace. I'm, I'm sharing it with folks if it resonates, cool. If it doesn't, I want to ask, go ahead. Oh, so say one thing really interesting to me about that is um, just as a medium and connecting with different people at different points is it's fascinating to me how spirit will bring through different things at different times and how spirit knows exactly what the person needs. And for some people who are starting out, for example, Tom, um, just not even maybe hadn't even believed in the afterlife and really need to know that their loved one is okay. Spirit will bring through um, more evidential details, more earthly um, details, if that makes sense, versus when I connect with someone who uh, maybe already has that trust, but is looking maybe more for guidance. And it's what's fascinating is I won't even know this, but I can almost discern by the information that comes through where a person is at. Does that make sense? It totally does. And to me, that is further proof that we are loved that much, that we are loved yeah. that much, that spirit meets us exactly where we are. Not too much, not, not, not enough, exactly where we are. Yes. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, for folks that don't know, Rachel and I had a fascinating in-depth conversation about two months ago. And I posted it, I shared it on this page, Tom Zuba Teaches a New Way to Degree, and on my personal page, Tom Zuba. And if you're not familiar with Rachel, I would listen to that because it tells her story. We talk about her book. She gets into a lot of how she became who she is. It's probably one of the most, um, not well-received, but it, it is well-received, but it's probably the most, one of the most um, widely seen videos, interviews, conversations that I've had. And as I reflect back on that conversation, I have some questions. And one of them is, do you use the word G-O-D 
And if you do, how would you define G-O-D? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'm thinking in two, two terms here, like in reading sometimes I will, uh, but just me personally, Tom, um, but yes to both. And I, to me, it's like God is, I don't have a definition per se, but it's more of just a feeling of connection to, um, and I will feel God in connections that I have with, um, certain people at certain situations I find myself in. I feel God when I reflect upon when Perry died and the big signs that we received to, and it's really taken a lot of hindsight for me to see, cause wow, those were some really big signs that we got in the beginning that I know were from my son Perry, but I just feel God in that we had this big shooting star the night he died. And to me, that's God, you know, to me, um, knowing that I was supposed to talk to you today, even though I didn't realize we were actually going to be talking, uh, but feeling okay with it and even feeling good about it. That's God, you know, but there, I really feel like I can't limit or define the different circumstances or connections that I feel God in, you know, because some of them are high, some of them are low, some of them are fun, some of them are meaningful, purposeful, you earlier used the word non-gender. Does your G-O-D have a gender? No, <laughs> no. So when I think of God or when I feel that God connection, I don't feel a gender in that or even you know a human connection in that. But I feel more of like the love that connects all of us in that. You feel the love that connects all of us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The way that I define God, and it's a choice that I make over and over and over again, is that God is love. Love. That those two words are synonymous. And I always preface it by saying it. It's not a human love. It's not a human love. It's a divine, all-encompassing, incomprehensible love. That resonates with me, and that gives me freedom, and that gives me peace. When I listen to you, Rachel, you use the word spirit much, much, much more often than you use the word G-O-D. So for everyone that's listening, either live or via the recording, what, what is spirit? What are you actually referring to? Oh, goodness. That's another great question, Tom, that I have a little bit of a challenge defining because I use it in different contexts. So I may refer to spirit. I guess overall, I would say I use spirit when I am referring to a connection where God has been made known to me through other people, either living or deceased. Say that again. Right? That's beautiful. Say that again. Yeah, if I can't. <laughs> so God to me is not, is I use the term spirit rather when I am referring to God made, being made known to me through connections that I have either with living people or deceased people. But it's when that connection is made known to me that I will refer to it usually as a spirit connection because it feels like that's what my, when my spirit is recognizing God. So there's a song that I absolutely love and I 
post it frequently on my Facebook page. It's called The Face of God. Are you familiar with it? I believe I have heard it probably on your Facebook page. In essence, the message is that we each have the opportunity to be the face of God to ourselves and to each other. And when our heart is open, I'll speak for myself, when my heart is open, when I see the hummingbird, when I see the beautiful fall leaves falling, when I see the blue heron at the creek, when I see my owls, they are all the face of God. I love that. I love that, Tom. And that, oh, that makes me feel so good. Like I said, I don't want to suffer anymore. Let me ask you about a character out there that because I was raised Catholic, I've re- I rejected for a good, good number of decades. And he and his mother are coming closer and closer and closer and are literally, literally saying to me, please take another look. Please take another look. And Deepak Chopra has written two books about this guy. And I've read them both. And I know, I know, I know, I know that I'm being invited to read those books again. And the guy's name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. I love it when people refer to him as Jesus the Christ. And I'm very well aware of the fact that if Jesus the Christ, a person of color who was poor, a carpenter with undoubtedly long hair and a scruffy face, if he came into the United States, there's a really, really good chance that many, 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 many Christians would probably shoot him and certainly keep him from entering their churches. I'm not being political, people. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about life. So if you would, tell us what you know about Jesus. Wow. They're deep questions, Tom. So um, as you know, as I shared before, I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination. My dad is a minister, wasn't in a, is a minister. I was born into this, so he was already pastoring when I was born. So I learned a lot about Jesus through other people in my life at a very early age. I also had early experiences of the spirit, spiritual nature, where I felt that Jesus was with me at an early age. And I often felt him with me more. I wouldn't have recognized this at the time. It's taken this long for me to be able to look back and see that I feel like Jesus the Christ, um, as he lives and breathes now, has made himself known to me at times when I was facing judgment from the church. you know, from uh, people who represented the church to me, I should say, not everyone in the church, but at specific times when I was facing judgment. Um, And my earliest recollection was in my bedroom when I was very young. And in the church that I grew up in, this, I, we were supposed to, at a certain age, the denomination I was raised in called it the age of accountability. 
I know like many Baptists, uh, we'll call it this as well, eight years old. And this is when you are, one is supposed to uh, make a, and it was a really confusing time for me, Tom, because I felt close to God. I didn't feel separate from God at that young age, but it's also the age I began to take on the feelings of maybe guilt and shame that others were projecting onto me, not consciously and not, you know, verbally, nobody pressured me, but I just knew because I was raised in this environment, like, oh, now I'm supposed to go up and make this public declaration and get saved is what we would call it in that denomination. Um, so that I'm really a Christian, (laughs) you know, to prove to others that I am basically is how I see this now. But as a child, it was a very confusing time because I thought, well, I feel like I'm already a Christian. And so, and I'm, that was when Christ appeared to me. And that's when I had these close connections. So I did make my public declaration, but it felt very much like I was doing this for other people. And that I didn't need to for my relationship with Christ, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. And then fast forward down down um, the road. Many years later, I went through a divorce, an early divorce. And in the church I grew up in, this was not allowed. And in fact, you could not back then the, um, I don't know losing my terms here, laws, the doctrine, you know, that have changed. So now they do admit members who have been divorced. But at the time, um, if you were divorced, if a person was divorced, they could not join the church. And so that actually led to actually my dad, I have to give credit to, he was very instrumental because of this happening in his family and happening to his daughter. He was instrumental in changing the, um, it's not doctrine, what is the term, you know, the rules, the um, it's not regulations, but in changing that. So, but it was also around that time where I had another very powerful connection with Christ in a spiritual sense. And then again, um, after stepping into this, stepping into what I'm doing now, I was really nervous about, um, you know, doing this for work and not just allowing it to happen randomly. I still had a lot to release, a lot of unconscious baggage around this idea of maybe I would be conjuring spirits if I, you know, schedule appointments and do this versus just letting the Holy Spirit come to me randomly. And then it was around that time that I had another very powerful connection, actually more than one with Christ. And for me, I feel like, you know, Christ represented, I'm sure God to me in the way that I was raised. And that's why I was seeing Jesus the Christ as, as, you know, my reference for him is, but it was very reassuring to me because it gave me the confidence and the trust and the encouragement to keep going forward to know like, Hey, if Christ is okay with this, then I don't need to worry about what other people think based on what they believe Christ is okay with. (laughs) When you were growing up, did the Pentecostal church come out and speak about gay, lesbian, transgender people? So a lot of thoughts I have about this are 
based on not what I can specifically recall, like my own parents. And the same with what I already shared. I don't remember that any judgment in my own home. I just know like what the church believed. And so I know I picked this up and I heard this. I can't tell you specifically from whom, but definitely that that would be um, sinful. Sinful. So what's interesting is everyone has their own truth. Everyone has their own story. And when you say the word Pentecostal church, being raised a Roman Catholic, I have a picture of what that probably is. As you shared your experiences, you guys were supposed to make your public declaration at eight. The Roman Catholics, we are confirmed, which is pretty much the exact same thing when we're a little bit older, maybe seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. The Pentecostal church had a very specific um, belief about divorce. You know, if you were divorced, you know, you couldn't be a member. Divorced people couldn't get married. Exactly the same as the Roman Catholic Church. The thoughts about gay, lesbian, transgender, exactly the same. So in the last six minutes, my understanding has expanded banded that actually the Pentecostal church and the Roman Catholic church have much more in common than I ever thought. I wonder if they realize that, you know, if those two churches actually realize that. Yeah, I know. I, I feel the same way. And it's so funny because throughout my life, my best friends have been Catholic. And I used to joke that I think I was supposed to be Catholic because, uh, you know, I just have clicked with a lot of people who come from the Catholic tradition. And so in those conversations, we've, we recognize where we have the similarities, not the differences. And you know, something that really struck me, Tom, when you talked about having connections with Jesus the Christ is in the Pentecostal church, we didn't really have, um, we didn't talk about angels, you know, and I know because I'm talking with my friends from the Catholic faith that there's definitely a reference in a respect for the angels, which are throughout the Bible. But I only heard about angels and saw angels like as Gabriel in, in the Christmas play. <laughs> but so I had an experience of having connections with angels after I had connections with Christ but I know other people have had connections with angels and maybe not those connections with Christ. So for me, uh, it was kind of like a reverse, you know, when you said that about Christ, I resonated with that because of my connections with the angels. And now I recognize how angels help me and how close they are to me. But because I didn't grow up with that, they, that may be why I didn't have the angels come to me. Um, yes. yes. You know, yeah. So we grew up, with the concept of a guardian angel, that every single soul here on the planet has a guardian angel. Does that resonate with you at all? Yes, yes, absolutely. And again, this was something that was not in my frame of reference, in my mental frame of reference. So 
when it happened to me, and I wrote a chapter in my book about this, my connection with my angel, um, it was actually already after I was giving readings. And I'm aware that I do have a guardian angel who has been with me, but I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Your guardian angel probably didn't really care. No. Right, right. There's no ego on spirit side. So let's know what the name of your book is and where they can find it. So the name of my book is Start It Up, and you can find it on Amazon. It's available in Kindle and um, paper. And you can also find it, I think, on like barnesandnoble.com, booksellers, it can be ordered. What if folks want a signed, personally signed copy? Yes, they can reach out to me and I will definitely um, can offer that as well. I think at one point I had a place on my website, which is rachelpearson.net, where people could order it. I'm not sure if it's still there, but if not, they can email me at rachelpearsonheaven at gmail.com and I can make that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So there's no coincidences. Do you use the word heaven? I do. And I, I use the word heaven a lot. I will kind of interchange it with spirit when I'm referring to spirit as our loved ones in spirit versus our loved ones here. Yes. But to me, it's not a geographical location. It's right here, you know, around me, around you, Tom, within you, within me. Do those that I love that are in heaven, do they miss me? No. I, I say that before I even have a thought. <laughs> no. do, do they, are they bummed like because they don't get to see their grandkids or they don't get to attend the wedding or they don't get to go to a no, box game? No, not at all because they do. And if I could, Tom, I can share a, just a beautiful example of this from a reading yesterday. And um, it was with a client. We got to the end of the reading and she said, you know, can you get any validation for my husband, you know, who wasn't present, but she just wanted to pass along. And I said, I'll, I'll see what happens. And then um, this, his mother came forward and she showed herself to me as around my age. And she said, yes, he did pass. She did pass young. And she talked about her, her husband, my client's husband, her, who was her son, the mother's son. And this mother in spirit talked about her other sons who she was with and her her two boys, um, one who had passed when he was a baby and one who passed as an adult. And then she took me on what felt like a um, journey of like flashbacks, you know, of, of these visions where she had been present with her son since he passed, since she had passed rather. And she talked about, she showed me being at a big, beautiful church wedding. And this was my client and her husband. And she had passed before this time and she says she was with you at the wedding and it was a big, beautiful wedding. And the interesting thing is my client had never met her husband's mother because she passed before they met as husband and wife. And so, um, and then she said, she says she was with him when he had his appendix out. And she said, yes, my husband had his appendix out. And I said, and she was with you when your baby was born, the, the baby that had the cord wrapped around its neck. And she said that that was her daughter who had was born. And it was very traumatic, obviously, because the cord was wrapped around her neck. And, um, and several other things she like took me through and showed me. And then she said to my client, thank you for taking such good care of my son. And then my client told me that after she met her husband, 
he took her to visit the cemetery where his, where his mother was buried. And she said, I said to his mom, who was in spirit, obviously, um, I'm going to take good care of him. And so I just, it was so beautiful that, you know, so that was such beautiful evidence of how my client's husband's mother had been um, present in his life you know, throughout 30 some years. And not only that, but how she had this bond with her daughter-in-law who she never met here in body, but has obviously been very close to as well. So to to me, choosing to believe that is the path to peace and the path to abundance. Yes. Yes. And this mother felt absolutely no separation from her son, you know, and was there. throughout has been there and will continue to be there throughout his life as will all of our loved ones. So there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I'm going to ask you a question that your response could be in bold letters on the front page of the New York times Sunday morning, tomorrow. (laughs) You used the word heaven and you said heaven is everywhere. It's not a physical place. Let me finish the whole sentence before you answer. Are there Muslims and Buddhists and agnostics and atheists in heaven? Yes. Yes. Newsflash! Headlines! New York Times! Yes, people! There are Muslims, Buddhists, agnostics, atheists in heaven. Absolutely. We all make. (laughs) Is there such a thing called hell? So I always try to be as open as I can when I think about this, Tom, because if there are people who are in a place other than, you know, the highest realm of God's love and light, they may not have people here who are wanting to connect with them, right? But I don't believe it would be a, it's not like how we portray it to be. Um, if that is the case. So I am more likely to say, I do believe like the most how we experience is here on earth. And that hell created. Yes, yes. We, we create hell for ourselves and for God's sakes, we create hell for other people. Yeah, absolutely. But I do believe that hell, evil is something that we create and it begins in our own minds. But I believe there are evil acts but I don't believe that there is um, specifically a hell as we are often taught in belief. So based on who you are today, I don't go up to the pearly gates. I don't come face to face with G.O.D. And if I didn't go to confession enough times, he doesn't banish me into a fiery pit of despair for all of eternity. Right. No, not at all. I do believe, Tom, if someone, you know, is really comfortable by that. So let's say, for example, my grandmother, you know, she may have seen the pearly gates because she was looking forward to this and this may be her heaven. So the first part of that, I'm going to say maybe that is someone's experience, you know, because often spirit will bring through this is my heaven and it may be based on what they got comfort from, from their religion here, you know, and what gave them hope and what their vision of heaven was. But yeah, no, definitely no banishment. 
I believe what you just said 1000%. And I'm going to share a little story. My father, who passed away a year ago, April 8th, I talked with him about what he thought would happen when he died many, many, many times. And he would get this beautiful look of peace on his face. And he, and he would say, oh, when I cross over, when I die, Jesus Christ will be standing there with his arms outstretched and will give me the biggest hug and say, you did such a good job. Welcome home. Welcome home. And I believe that we are loved so much. It's exactly what you said. That will be his experience. And I would not jokingly say, I have, I have, I have held this vision. I have felt this vision a million times. And I adapted it after my dad passed. But when I cross over, which I hope is not for at least 40 more years, I'm 63. I want to live to 103 because I just started. I mean, I just started doing on the planet what I came here to do. But when I do cross over, literally, I want Aaron to have my hand. I want Trish to have my hand. I want Rory to have my foot. And now I want my dad to have my foot. And I want them to yank me out of my body. And there's going to be this reunion. And I want Jesus to be way, way back there. I want, you know, it's like, Give me time with my people. Give me time with my people. All right. Come on, Jesus. You know, we'll, we'll have a little chit chat. And I believe that we are loved so much. Yes, yes, yes. That's what love is. Yes, absolutely, Tom. And I believe you're tapping into that glimpse of what is going to come for you. So do you, you use the word conjuring spirits, you know, that people were afraid that might, you might be conjuring spirits. Do you believe, based on your experience, are there evil spirits out there that are out to get us, that are trying to, you know, get us around every single corner? No. I don't believe that, Tom. I do believe there's a lot of lower energy. My belief, based on my experiences, it's more tied to psychic energy. And that's just my my belief, my experience. So I do believe um, what other mediums or people may interpret as evil spirits or lower energy is usually from um, psychic energy of people here. But that's my belief. In your experience, does does like energy attract like energy? Yes, absolutely. So if I'm vibrating at a low, 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 low level, I am going to attract low, low, low energy. Yes, yes, I do believe that. As I raise my vibrational level through experiencing God in the owls, through being grateful for the sun, through being with people that feels like home, as I raise my vibrational level, I attract higher vibrations to me. I believe that. Absolutely, Tom. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the reading that you and I had. And I know you have many, 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 many people that you read for, but I want to share this with people to give you a sense for what the experience was like. The very first person that came in was a gentleman. And Rachel described my father to a T. 
I shared the recording with my mom and my mom and my youngest sister, Anne-Marie, their jaws were on the floor. Their jaws were on the floor because my father was literally with you, not a doubt. And I was kind of thinking, okay, dad, I'm really glad you're here. I mean, I know where you are. Get out of the way because I really, really want to talk to my people. And my you said that in a very gentlemanly way, my father tipped his hat and said, here's your lovely bride. That is exactly, exactly what my father would have done. And at one point, you said, okay, Trisha's getting serious now. And it's like she has a clipboard and she's, she's got things to talk about. You know, one, two, three, four, five. I have a photograph of Trish from when I first met her. She's at work with a clipboard and her pen. That was her signature, clipboard pen. Boop, 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 boop. Um, one of the things that you said is, and the choice of words was so right on, that Trish loves the broadcasts. Trish loves the broadcast. She really, really, really wants you to continue working on the broadcasts. And I've shared this story before. When I was in eighth grade, when I was in eighth grade, um, I met with a counselor at the Catholic high school I was going to go to. And we took the required courses, but then there were two electives. And she said, what would you like to be when you grow up? that might help us figure out what elective would resonate with you. And I remember I was in eighth grade and I don't think I had ever told this to anybody. And I was, I kind of knew that this was an opportunity. This is just coming to me right now. Clearly what I knew was this was an opportunity to ad, ad, uh, publicly admit that I had gotten a glimpse of my optimal life and if I verbalized it, I would be able to bring it in quicker. I said to her in eighth grade, sitting next to my parents, when I grow up, I want to host my own television show like Johnny Carson. And you know what, Rachel? She didn't laugh at me. I'm sure my parents, their heads probably snapped and were like, what? What? <laughs> Where did that come from? And she said, wonderful, then I think you should take debate. I think that would be really, really good for you. For me, taking debate set me on a confident course that I could stand up, that I could string three or four words together, that I was a good communicator. The decades, the decades, the decades rolled by and in 2020, because of the virus, because of social media, my wife says to me, I love the broadcasts. Trisha's background was public relations and marketing. That gave me the, the final kind of boost to say, hell to the hell yes, I'm gonna be on Facebook, I'm gonna be on YouTube, I'm gonna be on Instagram, I'm going to set the intention. I'm going to set the intention to have 1 million subscribers within 12 months. I'm well aware of the power of intention. Once I said that out loud, 
the universe gave me this and this and this and this and this. What, what spirit also said through you is, let it come to you. Let it come to you. Because I, I, I said, you mean I'm not supposed to work at this? I don't have to um, you know, get up early before the sunrise. The early bird gets the worm and work, 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 work. And you're like, nope, spirit said, let it come to you. Do you remember any of that? I do, as you say this, yes. Yeah. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do want to get this on record because I get glimpses of my optimal life. I, a lot of people know I've been on Miss Winfrey's television show. Um, Miss Winfrey sent flowers and a beautiful food basket when my son Rory died. If you went up to Miss Winfrey today and said, do you know who Tom Zuba is? I'm 99.9% .9 sure she would go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember that guy. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to leave that there. Can, can you share what you remember as far as Miss Winfrey in the reading? Oh, yes. It's so funny you asked that, Tom. I'm a little bit distracted because there's a small plane flying overhead. And that has happened a couple of times during our chat here. And I keep thinking about the um, guidance coming through to fly solo and the plane, the plane flying over <laughs> that came through in our, in our connection. Yes. Um, so what will happen is sometimes spirit will use something I have a frame of reference for. Um, and something maybe I already even know because I knew you already, Tom, and I knew that you had been on Oprah. Actually, um, I saw you, your interview on Oprah and Perry was a baby. Uh, so all that has been really fascinating to me as well. But, uh, I didn't realize I remembered you until after I was in your holiday program. And then you mentioned that and I was like, oh my gosh, Tom was the dad whose story, um, I heard. And so, um. So, because I already have that knowledge in my mind, I will sometimes have to sit with something like that for a little bit. So, um, Spirit's not going to bring me something that I would already know. So, I knew when I was seeing Oprah, I was kind of asking, having this conversation, you know, with your spirit peeps, like, what is it about this? Because I already, I knew I already knew that, I knew they wouldn't be bringing me something like that as validation because I already knew that. Um, and it was like, like Oprah. And I was seeing this as something like moving forward in that. Um, so to me, Oprah represents, well, I love Oprah. I'm a big fan. So then I kind of have to explore, what is this? What does this feel like to me? What is it about Oprah that they're trying to draw a parallel with? So where maybe that was a pivotal moment for you that, you know, being on her show uh, represents to me a big deal you know, getting to meet an Oprah. So someone like that or a situation like that is going to happen. Does that make sense, Tom? Totally, totally. You even nailed the time frame. Do you remember that? What's that? You even nailed the time frame when it was going to happen. Do you remember that? Um, I do remember feeling like a lot of excitement and momentum um, going into the next year. Yeah. yeah. And there are probably, details that I'm just not remembering in this moment. <laughs> you also yeah. referenced a door. Do you remember? You, you, you're like, yeah, the door is wide open. 
you you actually said you actually said tom you are ready you are absolutely ready so it's like your door is halfway open but we're waiting for the oprah like entity to be ready and swing the door open and then you'll just move right through yeah. And you know, Tom, that's interesting. You mentioned that because when this comes through in guidance, just to kind of, to compare, um, when seeing you with your door open shows me, you know, we go back to that free will, like you're doing everything you need to do where sometimes I may see, you know, spirit may show me in, in, in guidance messages or guidance session that somebody, you know, maybe their door, there's something that they need to do on their side still. And then, will come about that. But so just to kind of compare there and contrast, um, but your door is wide open. So you're definitely exactly where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's what that told me. And, and where I am right now is that optimal life. Every, everyone has free will. The optimal life is there because of free will. If someone says no, like a kaleidoscope, it shifts, it shifts, it shifts. So someone might be listening to this and go, well, I thought Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be involved here. That is not what this is about. This is about surrendering to unlimited possibility and receiving that which the universe delivers, which will be a match to my vibrational level. I don't believe this is just happening to me. I have a role in co-creating it on a conscious level, but I don't know the outcome. I don't, and I don't need to know the outcome, but my eyes are going to be open. My ears are going to be open and my heart's going to be open. I'm going to recognize it and I'm going to move right into it because of the way that it feels, because of the way that it feels. Yes. And you know, and like you said, Tom, it's not just happening to you. You've had to do the work to open the door. You know, if, if we don't open the door on our side, if you had opened the door, then, you know, this powerful person figure on the other side wouldn't see you. Exactly. Yes. It's it, yes. We're not just when the secret came out, I think people believe they could just sit in their lounge chair and say, I want a Mercedes. I want a green Mercedes. I want a green Mercedes. I want a green Mercedes. Three months later, they're fatter, they've lost their job, they're exhausted, and they don't have a green Mercedes. That is not <laughs> how it works. That's not how it works. It's, right. it's intention, it's vision, it's feeling, and it's action steps. And then Oprah talks about this um, in relationship to the, her desire to have that role in Beloved. It's releasing the outcome. It's releasing the outcome and trusting in divine timing. That's where I am right now. So yes. do you have a little bit more time to talk? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I want to make it clear. This is why I love Rachel Pearson. This is why I love Rachel Pearson. And the only, the only medium that I would work with and the only medium that I would suggest that people that trust me and that I love and care about and that I believe can heal, the only medium that I would recommend is Rachel. So to that end, I'm really, really excited because in January in Tampa, I'm going to host a retreat and Rachel's going to be the guest presenter. 
but I want to make this really, really clear. When I do live in-person retreats, they are not open to the public. I can't take that risk. We're talking about 12 people in an intimate, sacred, safe space. So people that have worked with me one-on-one or people that I have gotten to know through the many, many, many online classes and the online retreats that I offer, those are the people that are eligible to attend this retreat. And virus permitting, I really, really want to do a live in-person retreat with you in Sedona. That to me is my ultimate, ultimate. And what I've asked Rachel if she will do, and we haven't discussed the details at all, but Rachel believes that we all are capable of developing skills to communicate, connect with our beloveds and have a fluid, ongoing, healthy, loving, thriving relationship with them. And that's that's the gift that Rachel's going to bring the 12 of us. How do you feel about that? I feel good about that. I really do. Yeah. Can, really, can you give us give us like three or four sentences about what we might anticipate and what we might uh, look forward to. Sure. And I haven't thought about this in advance, Tom, but what's coming to me now is helping people with expectations about what connection is and what it looks like. Because if we have realistic expectations, we can have more powerful experiences with our loved ones in spirit. Validation is the next word that comes to me. So as a group in leading everyone through guided meditations, exercises to connect, people will actually validate for each other as well as me validating for them their own experiences. And that's a little bit difficult maybe to comprehend until you experience it, but it's it's really amazing. We'll see evidence of how all of our loved ones will be there linking together, supporting us, and they want to validate not only through our personal experiences, but through the experiences that others have as well. That divine tapestry of love and connection that we share, which will only serve to strengthen everyone's personal experiences that they will have of connecting with their loved ones even more. I think that's more than four sentences, sorry. (laughs) Do you believe everybody has the ability to connect with their beloveds or just some people? Everyone. I believe that absolutely everyone has a soul connection. Spirit will show me this as like a divine umbilical cord, so to speak, with the people who they love who have died. That's eternal, that's ongoing, and that includes this ability to communicate with them and to receive communication from them. Okay, so again, in January in Tampa, I'm hosting a retreat for 12 people that either have worked with me one-on-one or have taken or are going to take an online class between now and the retreat in January. There's 12 spots, 
four of them are already taken. So there are eight spots. If this resonates with you and you qualified, say, I'm interested in the retreat in a comment and I will put you on the mailing list. Um, and if you, if for whatever reasons you're not able to get in this, hold the vision of seeing yourself at a live in-person retreat as soon as we can do it, as soon as the virus allows us to do it in Sedona, because that's, that's the next offering. So are you okay taking some questions from people with the understanding, Rachel is not doing a reading, she's not connecting with your loved ones, that is not fair, that is not fair. If you're interested in a reading, schedule one, schedule one. Where would folks go to schedule a reading with you? Um, thanks, Tom. My website, rachelpearson.net. Okay, rachelpearson.net. You literally, yes. it's so, so, so easy. You literally pick the date, you pick one of the available times, you schedule it, schedule it for yourself. If you have a question for her, that is not personally related to your beloved, type it in now and I will do the best that I can to share that with her. Um, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce her name right. Carolyn, T-U-C-C-I-O. Oh yes, Carolyn. She said, Rachel's workshop to connect with your loved is an amazing experience. Oh, this is beautiful. Uh, yeah. This is sweet. Oh, this is really, this is, so what, what if, what if the person on the other side doesn't speak English? How are you able to communicate with them if their language is Italian or Spanish, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, great question. I love this question. So when spirit communicates with me, what's happening is they are blending with me. So their soul is blending with my soul. And so it has to, they have to communicate through my own thoughts, Tom. So my mind is a filter and a translator. So they are essentially giving me their thoughts. And then my mind is automatically translating it into words as best as I can relay. And it's so funny they ask this because when I'm connecting with somebody who's in the UK, um, I'll get words like rubbish and flat and, and words that I don't typically use and sometimes find myself speaking in an accent that is probably not good at all. But yeah, so that's how that works. So this is completely about me. And as I said at the beginning, I decided a long time ago to speak the truth because then I don't have to remember what I said. Jennifer Bishop said, I just checked out your website. I appreciate the affordable rates. I'm going to share something about me. I honestly, I honestly don't know how a human being can justify charging $2,000, for a reading. The only thing that comes up for me is greed, greed. That's about me. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I feel the same, Tom. 
So my friend, it's fascinating that it's fascinating. I don't believe in coincidences, but you know what? I'm not even going to. So I'm going to speak to my friend whose initials are SB. You are going to love this. And when you're done, let me know how it went. Because I don't want anyone to think, oh, he said the name and Rachel went to her Facebook page and Googled her. And that's how she knows all the data. (laughs) Do you get that? Do you get that? You know, I do. I'm sure I know that I don't hear that directly a lot, but I do get that. And actually, Tom, I like not knowing information. It's actually easier for me as a medium when I don't question, are these my thoughts or are they spirits? And I like, I don't accept friend requests now from people who I haven't first connected with. And there are some people who are very trusting or like, oh, and I know spirit will bring through things that I couldn't know. So it doesn't matter, you know, that regard, they'll bring through things that I wouldn't be able to Google or find on their Facebook page. But I'm aware because, you know, I've been through this experience myself. You know, they may have a husband they're going to share messages with. They may have a sibling they're going to share messages with. And the more anonymous it can be, the better that experience, the more validating it will be, not just for the person. The person may be very trusting, but maybe there's messages that spirit wants to bring through for dad or brother that will be more validating to them if they know, hey, I didn't know them, you know? Yes. Yes. So... I believe that spirit is working on all of our behalf. I love this next question. And my hunch is you are too. It's from Jessica, Jessica Hatcher. I just scheduled a reading. Have you had an experience where you weren't able to reach the exact individual a person wanted to, like other spirits got in the way? Other spirits got in the way. Yes, is the short answer to that. Um, I could I could spend a long time talking about the dynamic behind that, Tom. But yes, I can't. And I say this when I connect with people. I can't control who comes through. Most often, typically, what happens is the people you know I'm connecting with who the clients bring with them, and most often the people who they have the closest connections with. I want to say ninety five percent of the time are the ones who I'm going to have the closest connections with as well and receive the most communication from. But occasionally it will happen. I tell you, usually what will happen is maybe I don't get as much communication from the person they would like to hear from as I do the others is typically what will happen. You know, there have been cases where very rare where I feel like there's somebody here who wants to connect, but it's just not working out. And I will be honest and tell the client, um, a lot of times I'll, I'll offer them either a refund or a reschedule. And I have noticed, Tom, that when we reschedule, it works fine. So I know there are energetic factors involved that I don't understand or for reasons I'm not supposed to know the timing wasn't right at that particular time. Yeah, yeah. I love that you said, I connect with the folks that the clients bring with them. I connect with the folks that the clients bring with them. And when I think about our reading, of course my dad would show up first. He was, you know, he's the freshest. It's the most recent, you know, the most on my mind. Of course Trish would show up. You know, Trish had a lot to say about the state of affairs in the world. 
It's like, do I wish Rory had been a little more present? Yeah. Do I wish Aaron had been more present? Yeah. And my thoughts are, when I schedule another reading, if I spend time consciously with Rory and Aaron, and I consciously bring them to the reading, then I think that that makes them more available because, you know, they're here. Does that make sense? It does. I do believe that can be a factor. And I've had clients tell me that they write questions down for their loved ones before they come in. And I think that writing their questions down and and asking them, not for me, they don't ask me the question, they ask their loved ones. But writing, I think, makes the intention stronger too, Tom. And they'll tell me, you know, I, I had these questions and they answered them all through you without me even being aware of it. I also think in addition to writing, if you call someone or if you tell someone and speak them out loud, these are the questions I would like Rory to respond to. The energy of our words, you know, puts it out there. I mean, Rory's spirit can be a match to that vibration. Easier, just much easier than if we just write. I love this question. This is from Mary Werdeman. Is there a devil? Uh, If there is, I'm not aware. I'm not aware of a a singular uh, evil figure, I should say. Spirits, you know, uh, maybe it's outside of my gift, my gifting to connect with our loved ones who are at peace. But um, it doesn't resonate with me based on my own experiences. I do believe, again, they're evil acts. I believe that evil is created in our minds. I believe that evil is rooted in pain and it's the absence of love. Yes, yes. Exactly. I don't, people are necessarily calm, but they're capable of evil acts because of that pain. Yes, 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 yes. Can animals see spirit? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This, this comes through quite uh, often in readings actually that, um, and they're, they're in spirit too. Like that loved ones will bring, you know, their, their dog, a a, a young man brought a pug this week that his favorite dog uh, that he was in spirit with, but they'll show me how the animals see them and how they respond to them, you know, and I'll say, pay attention to the dog barking or, uh, you know, tracing like their eyes, you know, with their eyes, because that's, they're showing me, they'll show me themselves in spirit image. And this is how the dog is responding to me, or this is how the cat is responding to me. (laughs) So do you think 18 month old children, two year old children, two and a half year old children, do you think they're able to see spirit and our beloved? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you have children who are very young and communicate, they're, they're a better medium than I am. Trust what they tell you. Trust what they tell you and who they see. So if the little granddaughter says, I see grandpa sitting in his chair. Yes, yes. Oh, really? You know, and I, I really believe, Tom, I feel passionate about this, is like nurturing that and not not closing that off in our young children, you know, um, starting a conversation about it. And, you know, even if it's a little startling for us as adults, I think, you know, approaching it calmly, just as if they were talking about, you know, somebody who was out of town who they had seen and didn't expect to see. I really feel very passionate about that. 
in the book, The Four Agreements, the author talks about the way that humans domesticate our children. He said, in the same way that we domesticate dogs and horses, we domesticate our young. Everyone comes in as love and we want to be loved. And we learn at a very early age that depending upon what family we're in, it varies from family to family. If we behave a certain way, we will be loved. If we veer to the left or veer to the right, we won't be loved. So except for a very, very few children, which we call rebels, and we usually medicate them, most of us abandon ourselves. We abandon ourselves because we want to be loved. We want to be loved. When Rory was seven, his mom died. And I talked about this on the Oprah show. He literally said to me, he was so excited about it. He said, daddy, daddy, every night when I go to bed, the ceiling opens up and a bright white light comes down and it surrounds me in the top bunk and it surrounds Shawnee in the bottom bunk. And I, and I looked at him, I said, where's the light coming from? Who's sending the light? And honestly, he looked at me like, are you stupid? Mommy's <laughs> sending the light. You know, mommy's sending the light. Where else do you think the light is coming from? And I said to him, please, please, please ask her to surround me with the light, to surround me with the light. And I decided that I was going to sleep in the bottom bunk with Sean so that I could get some of that light. And I remember he was seven years old. He would very freely share that with different people. And I could, we could feel their response. I mean, a handful of people were really excited for him. They wanted to know more. But the vast majority of adults looked at him like, oh, Lord, that poor child. Mm -hmm. He's delusional. You know, Tom, does he need to see the social worker at school? Does he need to see a psychiatrist? Should we get him on some meds? I witnessed that. I witnessed that. And as, as the months went by, as the year went by, he didn't see that light anymore. Now, maybe he didn't need to see the light anymore. I'm not really sure. But I thought, Lord, now I have the language. We domesticate our children. We beat, mm. we beat literally and figuratively the light and the love that they came in as we beat it out of them. And for most of us adults, that's what's happened to us. Mm -hmm. so I believe. I wanna I wanna close with there's there's a million really, really powerful questions here, but I wanna close with um this by Cam, but I want to preface it by saying this September is Suicide Prevention Month. And we have what's called an International Suicide Prevention Day. And two, if not three times on my Facebook page, I've posted the question, can suicide be prevented? If so, how? You know, how do we prevent suicide and why the hell aren't we doing it? People are killing themselves, taking their own lives every day. So Cam asked this question, what is your thought 
on the souls who take their lives? So that's a, a question, Tom, that I've gotten before. And I don't, they're not in any different, in any different place. They're definitely uh, at peace and in God's love and light. And I'll tell you, um, you know, initially when I'm receiving impressions from people um, in spirit, they will give me things for evidence. And so sometimes they want to let me know that I'm responsible for my passing or my actions are contributed to my passing. And it may be a suicide or it may be an accidental overdose. It may be somebody who was texting and driving, but they give me that to let me know for purposes of evidence, not because they've been judged for it. They're very much matter of fact, They'll know, they'll, my people will know me by this. This is evidence of how I passed. And um, they're never in any less peace than anyone else, you know? And, and as it goes along, you know, there may be messages they want to convey um, regarding to their passing and each passing is, you know, unique and individual. So um, yeah, as far, I think that's what she may be asking about. I'm not Absolutely. sure, but yeah, the yeah. state of their being now and they're absolutely in God's love and light and um yeah I think there's a lot of misunderstanding it's so fascinating Tom I uh, had a reading last week where a young man was experiencing a lot of anxiety and he told me he said I knew my time was going to come soon and he saw from his perspective now as pure soul his message from his soul was if I wouldn't have passed then I was going to pass like I never would have lived to this certain age. And it was almost like that intuition about this was causing his anxiety. And so it gets really, really fascinating. Also really a little bit frustrating because we as humans don't really understand the big picture. But he, and as it turned out, he did die by suicide, but he was trying to communicate to me how his anxiety was caused by his soul knowing that his maybe it would have been an accident that was going to come soon or something like this. And he um, made the decision to um, end his life. I, I think there's an old way and many, many people still exist in the old way, primarily because they don't know there's a new way. And when I was growing up in the Catholic church, if you died by suicide, you went to hell and you were, you could not be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Wow. Wow. You know, my, and I, I know that was one of those thoughts too. That was probably my church. Again, I was so young that I don't know specifically who I heard it from, but I do remember uh, hearing that too. And that is something that has become a, a, a big stigma with it and with, you know, um, where they go and all of that. Tom, it's, I find that if anything, sometimes they come through more strongly and more loudly precisely because of that, you know, because they want to work so hard and letting their people know that they are happy now as well. But because of that stigma and the very first connection I had, this was probably 16 years ago now, and I was working as a massage therapist. Um, and the first time that it was the urge was so strong for me to communicate to someone what I was feeling. I had no idea what it meant, but it was, it was actually a, a young man who came to me who had died by suicide. And um, that was like my first kind of time really delivering a message to someone who I did not know and know who it was from. That makes perfect sense because to me, it underscores this belief that I hold 
that we are loved that much. That those of us that we love that are on the other side are working in connection with some of us on this side to let the world know there is a new way. There is a new way. And I'm happy that the Catholic Church no longer attaches that stigma to death by suicide. You know, you aren't going to hell. You're certainly able to be buried at a Catholic cemetery. So, you know, collectively, our heart is opening and we are expanding. I want folks to know that this Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central right here, I'm going to have a conversation with my friends Kim and Kirk, whose son Garrett shot himself in the head. And my friend, um, oh, Lordy, Dawn, uh, sorry, Dawn, my friend Dawn, whose son Dylan shot himself in the head. And what we're going to talk about is this notion, I believe that words have power, this notion that we're still saying Suicide Prevention Month, Suicide Prevention Day. So this is how I want to wrap it up. When I think about you, Rachel, and when I think about your son, Perry, who had he not exited at what I consider the perfect time and in the perfect way, if if that was not Perry's experience, you and I would not be speaking today. I mean, Perry's passing made today possible, period. And Mm -hmm. when I think about that holiday program and what a bright light the two of you were, primarily as a team, this is what I think about. I mean, this is what I think about. I mean, you guys, you guys were radiant then to me, to me. And In the time since, I mean, you have done the work, you have taken the steps to crank it up, to crank it up, to crank it up, to be a light for the world, to be a light for me personally, and to be a light for every single person that works with you. So I really humbly and gratefully thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are individually but also who you guys are as a team. Mm. Oh, thank you, Tom. Perry, thanks. Do <laughs> you have any final thought, any final message to give the folks before you go on with your camping trip and I go on with the day? You know, um, yeah, I know this is coming from Perry, but also from your loved ones and everyone's loved one and spirit in heaven who is watching this, whether live or the replay, but what they want you to know is that their purpose continues. Their purpose continues. So um, it's, it's easy for me to say this because it's been obvious how my son has helped me, but in unseen ways, you know, maybe in ways that, I don't think we'll all really understand the role that our loved ones and spirit play in our lives until our souls are fully reunited because they're that close to us, but their purpose continues. Their potential didn't die when their physical body died. 
right? So their potential still lives on and they're still fulfilling their purpose. Thank you for today, Rachel. You're welcome. Thank you, Tom. So the conversation will continue. Yes, absolutely. Okay, enjoy the rest of your weekend. (laughs) Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you everyone for being with us. Take good care of yourself.